In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of the month of Tut, and we read in the Gospel the story of the sinful woman who entered into the house of Simon the Pharisee uh, as he was dining with uh, Simon, and she comes and, and she bows down before him and washes his feet with her hair and anoints them uh, with ointment. And we can look at this woman and try to understand um, the, the, the magnitude of her love and repentance for the Lord, how she was coming to him, wanting to forsake her old life and coming with sorrow at the life that she had lived. Um, but we see the example of Simon, who was very cruel to her and was not in all, at all considerate of her situation um, or willing to accept uh, her repentance at all and just saw her as a nuisance. Um, and so we can look at... Um, kind of two extreme examples of how people see the sinner. On the one extreme, there is the example of Simon the Pharisee, who with his cruel heart refuses to accept anyone regardless of the sincerity of their repentance. And then on the other extreme, we might find the people who are wanting to accept any type of sin at all under the, the notion that Christ is an acceptance, acceptor of sinners and we are all accepted and minimizing the, um, the, the damage of sin or minimizing the immorality or minimizing whatever wickedness that a person might be doing as being kind of not important. And we can look at these kind of two extremes and try to understand um, maybe where is the balance um, in between. So I want to I talk about these uh, two, two sides of the same issue. So the first is what are the things that the Pharisee neglects when judging her? Of course he again was cruel toward her. He was rejecting her repentance. He did not see her as a woman who was worthy of forgiveness um, and that he was better than her. The first thing that he neglects when evaluating her is the, the idea of time, meaning this woman had been living in a life of sin for a very long time and it was hard for her to change because a person who lives in sin for a long time is imprisoned by sin. Maybe those of us who do not have a specific vice, we look at the people who do and we question why is it so hard for them in order to change. Many, maybe a person who has never struggled with drug addiction, for instance, would look at someone who is a drug addict and say, this person is foolish and this person is destroying their life. Why don't they realize and see that this addiction of theirs is causing damage to themselves, damage to their family, um, and maybe we, we take it in a very light way and we just, you know, in a very logical way and we say, no, this is, this is wrong, we shouldn't do it. Uh, and we blame the person because they are still under the bondage of this sin um, and this addiction. But that's maybe because maybe we have not tasted what it, it is like to be under the bondage of an addiction like that and the kind of control that it has over a person. So the, the longer that a person remains in sin, the harder it is for them to break free. It doesn't mean that it's not possible. But when we evaluate them and we evaluate their repentance and maybe even in their repentance they struggle and continue to struggle with the same sin again and again and again. It says about St. Moses the Strong that after he repented and he became a monk that all of his previous uh, temptations and vices did not simply disappear in a night but he continued to struggle against them. And actually the people who struggle with sin for a very long time they are the ones who earn the greater crowns in heaven because their continual struggle against it, of how much they hate the sin, they continue to fight against it, much more than a person who for them that particular sin might be something not even desirable, not even something that they, they, they would enjoy at all. Um, they're not going to receive credit um, as this person who is a sinner who is trying to change. So the first thing that the Pharisee neglects about this woman in evaluating her is the, the magnitude of the sin 
that, that she has and how difficult it would be to break free. Um, the next is her circumstances. She very likely did not grow up um, in a family who necessarily um, taught her the fear of God or modeled it for her. Very different than the Pharisees who maybe grew up in a, in a, in a family who did model the fear of God and taught them the word of God from the very beginning. So it's easy again for us to look at our situation and maybe without even realizing the benefits that we have received through our upbringing, through the environment that we have grown up in, through being in the church, for instance, um, all of these things giving us positive messages and, and teaching us the truth, uh, compared to someone who has been who has not had that benefit through for their entire life and has not had the benefit of being taught the truth or um, have been exposed to sin from a very young age because of the circumstances that they were in or had been neglected or abused or whatever the case might be, a person is, is much less likely to be able to grow up um, with a strong faith and in the fear of God. So again, the, the man, the Pharisee, he did not consider at all the circumstances of this woman, um, and he just considered himself to be better than her. The third uh, way that the Pharisee kind of misjudged this woman um, was regarding the idea of having mercy. He did not consider that mercy was an option. He looked at her and he said, this woman has committed sin and she deserves punishment. And, and since she is a sinner, she can never change. And her repentance is insincere, um, unauthentic, not enough. And mercy is not even available for her. Again, because the Pharisee believed that he was more righteous than her. And he did not see how it is, it is it that she could be falling into these kinds of sins. But even though the woman came repenting and seeking the mercy, but he rejected her and he did not offer it to her. Um, this is another way that maybe we evaluate sinners um, and people who have fallen is we focus so much on the sin itself. We focus so much on what they have done. We focus so much on the idea that once a person begins to fall into a particular sin, it is hard for them to break the habit and we label them as being sinners and we don't give them the, the mercy that they need in order to change. We don't give them second chances. And certainly here, Simon the Pharisee was not giving this woman a second chance. Um, he wasn't allowing her, uh, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't at all thinking that there is even a possibility that she could change or she could become something other than what she had been before. But of course, with the grace of God, we know that the Lord can work in any person and change us and make us to be different than before. And we see this actually in the life of all of the, the people whom God chose. Um, Levi was a tax collector. Um, Peter was a fisherman. Uh, many people who were something completely different and, and changed their life when they were called by the Lord, those people who were sinners. The story of St. Mary of Egypt is a very beautiful story about a woman who was a harlot, and she was like a harlot to like the most extreme way that you can imagine. Um, and she came to enter into the church um, on the Feast of the Resurrection, and she felt like there was some invisible force that was preventing her from entering the church. And she realized that this was because of her sinfulness. And she prayed and asked God to accept her, and he did. And she went and lived the rest of her life in the wilderness, um, in asceticism, and in prayer. Um, and she was one of the great saints in the church. So we see that a person can change. Um, and yet, um, here we see the, the Pharisee did not offer mercy at all um, to this woman or to give her a second chance. Um, the fourth way that the Simon the Pharisee evaluated this woman wrongly was just based on her appearance. Um, in John 7:24, it says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Um, the Pharisee did not know her heart. He just looked at her title. 
He looked at how she was labeled by the society. He looked at her past actions. He didn't know her heart. He didn't know the sincerity of her repentance, but he judged her just based on appearances. And again, this is the, the easiest thing for us to judge based on because this is what we see. But the Lord is the one who knows. Who would have imagined that the right-hand thief would have been the first one to enter into paradise? Anyone looking at the life of this man would have seen a thief, a common criminal, someone who by no means would enter into heaven, by no means that God would judge as a righteous man, by no means would anyone look at him. Imagine all the people whom he had robbed throughout his life. Would they look at this man and say, yes, this man is a good man? No, they would say he is a, he is a wicked man. And he harmed me in so many ways. And look, now he is getting what he deserves on the cross. And he is being crucified and suffering. Um, and he deserves the punishment that he gets because of all of the sins that he committed. And indeed he does. He does deserve the punishment. And indeed he was a sinful man and he was a thief. And yet the Lord evaluated him differently. He looked at his heart in that moment. And actually even the words that he says in that moment, when he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, it doesn't even capture what is inside of him in that brief sentence. It is only God who can look inside his heart and understand truly that he was repentant at that time and that he was um, wanting to change his life. But of course it was too late. It was too late for him to change, yet the Lord accepted him still. So we often judge based on appearances of what we think a person is or by judging by their actions. But the Lord, when he judges, he judges based on the heart of what is inside and not from the external appearance. The other thing that the Pharisee neglected to consider is that he also is a sinner. He did not consider that because I am a sinner, then I have no right to judge another person. I have no right to judge um, them as a person or to consider that they are wicked or unworthy of forgiveness because I also am a sinner. Um, if God were to come and to judge right now, each of us would have a sin. Each of us would have f shortcomings and failures that um, we have been struggling with throughout our lives, whether we know it or whether we don't, whether we admit it or whether we don't. But he directed all of his judgment, not to himself, but to her. He did not live a life of repentance. And we see this in the parable that Christ gives about the Pharisee and the tax collector, where they both stood uh, to stand in prayer before God. And the Pharisee kept just being boasting about himself, boasting about his fasting, boasting about his prayer, boasting about his righteousness, whereas the tax collector could barely even look up toward heaven and beat his chest and said, I am, I am, the, I am a sinner. So there is no way that you could compare those two because in the eyes of God, the one who beat his chest, even though he truly was a sinner, even though he committed all of those sins, maybe more than the Pharisee, and yet he was accepted by God, um, more than the Pharisee. So the, the Pharisee here did not consider at all his own sin. And when we judge one another, we judge because we don't consider that we are sinners ourselves. And it is e very easy for us to judge or condemn um, another person. Also, um, this man, he neglected his own role. As a religious leader, as a Pharisee, he is a representative of God. And if God is a merciful God, which he is, then this man, this Pharisee, should also be merciful. He should also um, represent the mercy of God, reminding the people of who God is and what God offers and, and how is it that God sees and how God is able to forgive. And so he, even in his role as a Pharisee, 
um, as a religious leader, should have been the first one actually to come and offer this woman a second chance and to offer her hope and to remind her that God is a forgiver of sins and when we come to him um, with a heart of repentance. So he failed to do that. He didn't do that at all and he, he neglected his role because his focus was so much on the sin of this woman. The last point regarding how the, 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 the cruel heart of the Pharisee judged this woman is he neglected that it was God's will actually to call sinners to repentance. In Mark 2 verse 17, it says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if he is, again, the God that he worships says that I'm coming to call the sinners and not the, the righteous to repentance, then this is actually exactly whom he came for. And this is why Christ was so gentle with this woman and he offered her uh, repentance and restoration, even though Simon the Pharisee did not. So this is one extreme or one end of the spectrum when it comes to how is it that we see people who are sinners, we, we judge them, we mistreat them, we don't give them the second chance, we label them, um, we don't give them at all like the benefit of the doubt, we don't consider their circumstances, and in every way they are rejected. This is, this is one, uh, one end of the spectrum of how is it that sinners maybe are treated. But what is the other end? The people who abuse the, the, the statement or the command do not judge. People will take this uh, command that God gave us, he says do not judge one another, and they will take it to an extreme or misunderstand what is it that God means when he says do not judge, what is it that Jesus meant when he said do not judge, um, and they will say no, well, Jesus said do not judge, you cannot judge me for any sin that I commit, Right? Maybe I'm not even repentant at all. Um, maybe I'm, I'm living in a life of sin. And yet what I say is do not judge. Christ said do not judge. Um, and so this group of people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum, they, instead of um, rightly judging, um, instead they say I'm going to accept everything. I'm going to accept everything and I'm not even going to focus on sin at all. And, and whatever it is that you do, it's fine. You're accepted. And, and, and I'm not going to even address the idea of sin because I don't want to offend people or I don't want people to feel um, uncomfortable or awkward. So what are some of the things that the, the people who abuse this command do not judge? What is it that they neglect? The first thing is this idea that everyone is a sinner does not make uh, sin tolerable by God. Meaning God's, God has said that sin is intolerable to him. God has said that the, the people who are sinners will be punished. God has said that, that, that sin is something that is disgusting to him and that he hates it. God has said that sin separates us from him. So anyone who reads the Bible, even casually, will see many, many verses speaking about how God hates sin. And the fact that we are all sinners and the fact that sin is common and the fact that maybe we all commit sin and keep repeating even the same sins that we fall into and struggle with throughout our life, it doesn't make sin any less, any more tolerable to God. It doesn't make it any more okay. It doesn't make it like, okay, well, because it's so common and because it's everywhere, um, then it's not a big deal. If you consider what was the sin that separated us from God and caused the fall of all creation, it was the sin of two people eating fruit. That was the sin. That was the, the sin that caused all of the corruption that we see around us. That was the sin, because it was disobedience. It was disobedience from God. If we want to minimize sin, well, then we can say, well, what was that sin that caused all the calamity? 
that we're in now and all the corruption of all creation and the fall of man, the separation fra- from between God and man, the, the preventing us from being able to enter to paradise, all these things happen. Why? All these things happen because a person ate fruit when they weren't supposed to, right? So when you, when you consider it that way, you say even the smallest sin, even, even the thing that maybe today we say there are so many worse things. You know, sometimes people, um, they minimize sin by saying, well, you know, there's so many worse things. There's so many. Let's just focus on the important things. Let's focus on the big things. Let's focus on the things that matter, on the things that hurt the people the most. Well, wouldn't we have considered that someone eating fruit that they shouldn't have eaten, wouldn't we have considered that to be a kind of a small thing? a thing that maybe there's so many other worse things like it wasn't murder it wasn't rape it wasn't uh, adultery it wasn't you know theft it wasn't harming another person it was just eating fruit and yet that was enough to separate us from god so sin is not tolerable by god sin separates us from god and that's just the way that it is so we can't say this because sin is common that that means that sin is accepted or that sin is okay the second is God commands repentance. He says in Luke 13, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Meaning, what is the message, right? What is the message of the church? The message of the church is repent, right? The message of the church is don't stay as you are. You know, the idea that when we speak about churches being accepting, you know, the idea that we accept everyone, we have to be careful of what we mean when we say we accept everyone. Um, does a hospital accept everyone? Yes, a hospital accepts everyone, but not to keep them the same. Uh, a hospital wouldn't accept someone if they're not willing to be treated. If they're not willing to be treated, the hospital would say, we have nothing for you. We're, we're, there's nothing for you to do here, so you might as well leave because there's nothing here for you. If you want to be treated, then it doesn't matter how bad your sickness is, we will accept you and we will treat you. You know, when you go to a laundromat, for instance, I don't think anyone goes to a laundromat anymore, but if you go to a laundromat, right, you take your dirty clothes and you say, clean these clothes, right, clean them, right? And no one would go to a laundromat and say, just keep the clothes as they are. Like, don't clean them. Don't do anything to them. I just want my clothes to remain dirty in the laundromat. No, actually, the purpose of the laundromat is to clean, right? So when the church says we accept all people and we accept sinners, we are not saying that we accept you Um, because we want you to remain as you are and the way the lifestyle that you have at this moment is good no we say we accept you because this is the process of salvation because this is the way by which god works in us through the grace of the holy spirit to transform and to change because god commands repentance he's commanding us to repent he's telling us we must repent right this is part of like contingents for our salvation is to um, repent God calls the church to judge sin and call sinners to repentance. So part of the role of the church is to declare the truth of what is sin and what is not sin. Without sugarcoating it, not being afraid of what people are going to say or be offended by the truth. You know, there are some churches who neglect speaking about certain topics because they are controversial or because they're afraid that certain people are going to be offended or maybe even leave the church if such topics are discussed. Now, definitely when we talk about sin, we have to be tactful and loving in the way that we speak about it. But God is the one who said what is sin and what is not. There is this uh, passage in Ezekiel chapter 33 where God is speaking to Ezekiel as about his role as the prophet. What is his role to do for the people? And this is what he says. 
He says, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Meaning, because I did not do my role in warning people about what God considers to be sin, <coughs> by rebuking, by teaching, by exhorting, by instruction, by love, by all the different ways that we try to attract people to God, because I chose not to do this, because I neglected sin, because I consider it to be common, because I said, well, what's the big deal? God accepts us all, and God loves us, and God forgives us. Well, it's saying here, because you did not warn them, they will die in their iniquity, because they will continue to live in sin. And not only that, their blood I will require at your hand. Because you had the opportunity to declare it. You had the opportunity to rebuke. You had the opportunity to model good behavior and to teach the truth, and you chose not to do so, right? Again, this is the role of the church. We, we don't just come here and we say, oh, well, you're committing this and that sin. It's like, oh, that's no big deal. Just continue as you are. We accept you and we love you as you are. Uh, no, again, acceptance is, yes, we, we love you as a person, as you are, but we don't accept the sin that you commit. And our whole focus and our whole purpose is to remove the sin, right, so we can draw closer um, to God. Finally, acceptance of sinners does not imply approval of their behavior. Again, God's accepting us doesn't mean that, um, that, that, that the path of salvation is, is, is not important, right? It doesn't mean that, um, that we, are, we are fine to, to, to kind of remain um, av as we are. So we have to be very careful, again, of what we mean by, say, we accept sinners, right? And so this is the opposite end of the spectrum. The first end was, as the Pharisee, being very cruel and not considering there's any way for anyone to repent, um, and, and change and judging the person who was a sinner. And then the opposite end of the spectrum is uh, just being too lax and accepting everything and saying, oh, it's not a big deal. God loves us, God forgives us, God, and we abu abuse God's mercy um, and we abuse the command, do not judge. What is it that, that, that Christ meant when he said, do not judge? He said, do not judge the person. Do not consider yourself better than this person. Because again, I myself have been a sinner. Do not consider, like the Pharisee, don't consider yourself because you have this high rank and position and you're a teacher of the law and you know the word of God and all this. Don't think that because that is you, don't think that makes you better than this woman who is a sinful woman. Do not judge her. But are her actions sinful? Yes. Actually, what is it that judges? It is the word of God that judges. When we, when we are coming to evaluate a person, we say, is this person like a sinful person or not a sinful person or whatnot, like however we want to label it. Well, how do we use, what do we do to judge that? We, judge the, we use the word of God. It's actually the word of God that judges us. It is not us as individuals. Even when we go out into the world and we preach and we say, what is the truth and what, is, what does God accept and what does he reject? Sometimes people look at Christians and they say, oh, we as Christians are, um, we are very judgmental. We are not loving. Um, we go out into the world and tell everyone um, the way you are living is wrong and sinful and you have to change. Well, that applies to us as well. Like maybe some of the sins that you are committing, like speaking to the people outside the church, we also struggle with. We also commit those sins. And we are just as much under judgment for those sins as you. We are not saying that we are better than you, 
but we are also at the same time declaring the truth. This is what God said is, is good, and this is what he said is evil. And if we do good, there is reward. And if we do evil, then there is condemnation. And we don't want you to be condemned. And that's why we go out and we, we preach. And we say, we don't want you to be condemned. Out of love, we don't want you to be condemned. We want you to come to the church. We want you to struggle for holiness, just as we struggle for holiness. It doesn't mean that we've already achieved it. It doesn't mean that we, we, we don't struggle with it ourselves. It doesn't mean that we ourselves don't fall into these sins. But again, the path of salvation is such that we go to God and we say, God, forgive me for the sins I committed. Just like this woman who came to the feet of Christ and bowed down and washed his feet with her hair and, and, and offered herself and offered repentance for all the sins that she did. So always in the church, there is a balanced view of what is it that how is it that we should be behave? How is it, what is it that we should believe? How is it that we should treat people? We shouldn't go into one extreme or to the other extreme, but may God grant us the perfect moderation and balance in everything and teach us how to judge ourselves first and to judge sin. And glory be to God forever. Amen.